0: the objective to deliver the nba to you like no other news play breakdowns power rankings storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else it's all straight shots here fired by straight shooters s and gun this is the objective basketball podcast
1: Hello and welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. As here, as always, we don't have Lauren, but she'll be back for our Thursday show. Today, we are joined by an illustrious guest. He is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Also, no big deal. A New York Times bestselling author of Blood in the Garden, the flagrant history of the 1999 New York Knicks, 1990s, excuse me, not 1999, although that that was also a great New York Knicks name. The man, the myth, the legend, Chris Herring. How are you doing, sir?
0: I'm good. I appreciate you wanting to have me on and, and kind of tracking me down to make it happen. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm
1: good. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, you do a lot of great work over at SI. Subscribe to the, to the newsletter, as you will, doing the plugs for you right now, just in case. But um, yeah, no, I, I wanted to bring you on. We're going to talk about the Eastern Conference playoffs. But first off, especially with everything that's happened over the weekend with the NBA and the collective bargaining agreement, the NBA has signed a new seven-year CBA with the National Players Association, the, the MBPA, if you will. Um, there are a lot of minor changes, but I think there's there's pretty large implications to some of these changes. Um, one of them off the top is the ability to curb the spending of higher, team, higher spending teams, a second apron, if you will, uh, in that luxury tax, losing the taxpayer mid-level exception for those teams, you know, can't use cash in trades. They can't move picks seven years away from now. Uh, take They can't take on more money than is being sent in tra- trades. Uh, there's a mandatory 65 games for uh, all NBA selections. And I believe that includes all defense, although I haven't gotten a clarification on that. Um, the in season tournament, they, they kind of have that in writing now. And then a, a couple of other things, including the all NBA becoming positionless, players being able to invest in, in teams and in WNBA teams. And obviously, the betting and cannabis aspect of that as well. So there's a lot of things to go through, but I guess, Chris, from your perspective, what was, what's the one that catches your eye and maybe has the the largest scale implication for how, you know, things look for the next seven years?
0: Well, I, I think the second apron, um, I think the reason you led with it was probably because like, that's the clearest one that when you look at teams that generally have a chance to win the the title they're they're sniffing around the luxury tax already. If they're not already in it, they're willing to spend more Yeah, in most cases, they're willing to gamble a little bit more because you kind of have to roll the dice to, to bring home the biggest prize a lot of the time, unless you've just got a, a flat out superstar. And even then you probably still need to do some of that. Um, so looking at how that shifts things a little bit, it basically seems as if now the, the league is going to have it where, um, You're able to to spend, if you want to, feel free, but we're going to take some things away from you if you're able to do that, if you want to do that and want to take that step. So it's costing you even more than just, you know, luxury tax stuff, potentially. So that's interesting, you know, just even looking at ESPN's write-up of it, looking at all the deals that wouldn't have been able to have been made over the last year, two years, and which players wouldn't have been able to be acquired. That that was interesting from that standpoint. So I think you have to start with that. Uh, Aside from that, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that felt advantageous for the players. Um, the idea of the basketball related income being defined one way, but now saying that they're going to let the players in on a lot of the licensing stuff. Um, I don't know exactly how that shifts, like the bottom dollar for every player, but it seems like that would be advantageous. And then, um, the idea that players can now invest in teams is really interesting. And I still would love more clarity on that, particularly, uh, just not NBA, but WNBA as well, which mm-hmm. I can imagine a lot of people might really want to invest in the Aces. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, given where they're at and what what happened this summer for them, or not summer. I guess it's whatever it is winter for them. The off season. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Uh, and and then uh, beyond that, not that it's the biggest deal, but I uh, imagine if you talk to players, the idea of uh, weed no longer being something that they're going to uh, find suspend over yeah. uh, something that is largely kind of Fine in in the states at least in in terms of the way it's being handled and the way it's been legalized, uh, probably an overdue thing for the league and something that you know the league has um, really hit certain players over pretty hard. Uh, so those were all things I noticed, but again, I think that the second apron was probably the biggest portion of it. On the second second
1: apron topic, do you think it is beneficial to the NBA and and I guess you could say in professional sports in general to have them curb higher spending to stop owners from spending more money. Cause I feel like this was a a topic of discussion when this came out is, Hey, should we be, uh, helping, you know, kind of fuel spending in the NBA or should we be trying to curb it? What's your, what's your perspective on that?
0: Uh, I mean the basketball fan in me, that's just, you know, and, and also just the part of me that really likes to see history made, uh, I think that the spending is a better thing. The more spending is a better thing. I think it's great when you have um, teams and and owners that are willing to step up to pay what they need to. I don't think it's possible for every single uh, owner and and every single organization, which that is why you're seeing this change, is that a lot of these owners were not okay with that. Um, Just from the standpoint of like the Clippers, we see the Mets doing it in baseball now. Uh, with Steve Cohen, I, I think it's great. And I, I also think that, for me, one of the sadder things in sports is, um, for instance, the Atlanta Hawks. They make the Eastern Conference Finals. I won't say out of nowhere, but kind of. I mean, they were basically Surprise. a 500 team yep. um, at the All-Star break. And then they they let go of uh, Lloyd Pierce. Nate McMillan comes in. And all of a sudden, they just kind of take off. They upset the Sixers to make the Conference Finals against the Bucks, And you're watching all these breakout performances. I I can think of three or four guys on their own in that series that all really had breakouts and were just great. And the first thing I'm hearing from their management after their season is over is like, yo, we're going to have to make some decisions because not (laughs) all these people are coming back because it's too expensive. And it's, there is a part of me that, again, just as a basketball fan that has no investment in any one team, I don't want to hear that. I mean, I, I understand like your budget is your budget, you, but for a sport that is making money hand over fist, and I understand that there's still a bottom line that you want to make a certain amount to make it feel worth it to you, uh, I, I really don't want to see teams like chopping off their limbs basically once they make a certain right. make it to a certain point. You're a championship contender, like literally, you you were a couple games, a couple wins away from getting to the title round, uh, which you would have taken out the Sixers and the Bucks to get there. So. Yeah. Um, it's not it, it, It's not lost on me that a team like Sacramento goes out and gets Kevin Herter for very little, and all of a sudden they are a three seed in the West. Uh, it, 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 that sort of stuff isn't lost on me, the fact that the, they couldn't keep stuff together um, because they basically couldn't keep everybody happy or figure out how to kind of prioritize correctly. Uh, so I, there's a part of me that wishes that the spending could just kind of be... Somewhat unlimited, or that you weren't penalizing teams like that. I understand the luxury tax and yeah. finding a way to still keep it fair, and I thought that that was fair. Maybe there's a more punitive tax that you can implement. Um, I didn't think you had to do this necessarily, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it's it's early. Um, there were a lot of us that thought that a lot of things were doing too much, flattening mm-hmm. the lottery odds, for instance, and it actually has made the league really, really competitive. Uh, yeah along with the playing round, which a lot of us kind of looked at at first, like, why are they doing this? So it might be perfect uh, right. within a couple of years, and we'll have to see.
1: There's going to be a lot of money coming into the league. I mean, between the new TV deal that's going to happen in the next couple of seasons, and then you have the the betting money that is obviously fun- yeah. funneling in, right? I think there's just so many avenues to make money, and they've, they've given the players more access to that when it comes to investing yes. in WNBA teams and NBA teams, obviously the cannabis and, and betting side of it too, which is an interesting wrinkle. I like you am interested to see how they're able to invest in those things without any
0: sort of conflict, but it's yeah. going to be interesting. <laughs> That's coming very soon. Right. Me. Like, yeah. yeah. I think the, con- I mean, we actually, was it a, uh, was it Chris Boucher recently that said something about yes, yeah, uh, that? And it just like, it was a really jarring comment to hear i'm actually surprised it hasn't gotten more attention and then i'm a journalist and haven't written about it you know but uh you know it it was a pretty jarring sort of thing to hear and i feel like if he was a bigger name or i was gonna say if he played in the states but it's it's still an nba player saying that he was told this and uh we're gonna have more stuff like that because the line has been blurred. I mean, they're in bed with each other at this point. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty ugly. Uh, the potential I, for it is pretty ugly. So we'll see what happens.
1: Pretty that. sure the same week, Brad Beal had a similar sort of yes. situation, right? Where he said, hey, someone said that uh, you lost me $1,200 on a parlay or whatever. What that line, uh, where they would draw the sand when it comes to that type of stuff is going to be mm-hmm. really interesting moving forward. Because... You're right. There, it's, it's indoctrinated into what sports is going to be for the next, you know, little bit. Uh, I think the, the all NBA mandatory 65 games and also adding it to be positionless is going to be really interesting moving forward. I mean, the guys, if we were to do it today, uh, for this (laughs) season, the guys who would be ineligible is a massive list. And it would make your, your list a
0: lot easier to pick your all in. I know. You know? I, I, I wish we could enforce it this year. I mean, to be honest with you, and it'll sound crazy, um, I also think that it'll very quickly adjust the way guys um, make decisions Let, about whether they're playing or playing not or, or not, they're yeah. on the cusp. Uh, because the MVP race would be like a little bit <laughs> – Yeah, there's only like three games left for some of these teams at this point. And so – You've got guys that are like 62 games. Like They have to play the rest of their games to even be eligible for that. Yeah. If they're not going to be eligible for the all-NBA criteria, you can imagine that people wouldn't vote for them for MVP. But yeah. when you look up and we're looking at 15 missed games potentially for MVP guys, uh, it's, a, it's just a new day as far as uh, how many games guys have been able to miss and you still have to theoretically factor them in. Because even though, in your mind, 75 games, 73 games, 74 games would be ideal, the guys you're comparing them against are all in the 60s as well. Um, And and then if you're going to consider guys in the 60s, for MVP, all of a sudden you you feel like you have to at least consider guys that played the high 50s for All-NBA. It's it's just weird. And, uh, (laughs) you know, way underneath what my cutoff would have been historically, but it's like who are you picking from at a certain point? Uh, so it'll be really nice to have that in place. I still am of the mindset, like I vote and, and I've only been a voter since last year. Um, I used to work for an outlet that didn't allow reporters to vote when I was at the wall street journal. Um, I, I I'm stuck in that weird spot where I wish that we weren't voting at all. Um, and the only reason I say that, I think that we have the ability to be objective compared to players and people that, you know, uh, coaches and stuff like that. Right. That said, and I also think we have a better ability to watch more games than they do because they're playing, they're traveling, they're uh, game planning. I've always said advanced scouts would be great for this because they're watching so much better. So much, ba- yeah. So. Um, but I don't like media involvement with stuff that decides contract uh, rewards and um, and different things like that and contract incentives. Real uh,
1: tangible money. I mean, look, uh, Jalen yeah. Brown could potentially lose, you know, 70 million, 80 million dollars here if he doesn't make all NBA. demonte Sabonis, right. similar situation. Pascal Siakam, similar situation. It's
0: I don't like that. Yeah. I, I I don't, I mean, it's because then I think fairly or not, I would, and I mean I'm saying this as a reporter, I would be. I'd probably have an ax to grind with the media if I didn't make it and I felt like I deserved it, you know, and I'm losing out on that money. Like, how am I not going to tie one in with the other? I'm I'm sure there are better people out there that wouldn't tie them together, but I probably would on some level. So, uh, even though I think, like I said, we're in position to watch games and more easily positioned to watch them than certainly than players, I think. But, uh, I just, I'm not really sure how it ended up in our laps, so to speak, um, or or maybe there'd be a way to to do it like the all-star voting now where it's like it's us but we're a part of it as a well party. i was gonna
1: ask you what would you say is your kind of like a, a solution to that it, what would yeah. be the new route to voting if you will
0: maybe maybe that would be the way um uh, mm-hmm. is, is to have it split uh, a few different ways uh I, right. I still imagine that just you know i think in at least here in, in this country in america like um and I would say more broadly than that, like I think it's been very popular to not love the media in recent years. Um, so I still think that there would be a little bit of, of a um more critique and people would look more heavily at how we voted. But if you put us on that sort of transparency the way it is now, but also do that with coaches and, and players and things like that, then so be it. You know, at right. that point you can go after whoever you want and it's kind of fair game for everybody. But um, you know, I've I'd, I'd like to think that it's changed over the years. When I was on the Knicks beat, I remember uh, uh, one person in particular saying, like, oh, you know, I'm going to vote for this person for six Man because, man, he killed the Knicks. And it's just like <laughs> you can't go off of, like, two games. Like, that's the problem with this. So I, that's why I do vote is that I feel like I'm making a point to watch so much basketball. Yeah. I don't cover any one team anymore. I watched a lot of basketball when I covered the Knicks, too. Uh, around the league but it wasn't nearly as much as i watch now as a national reporter um so i i just kind of feel like people that their sole job is to cover kind of like one team primarily most of the time or they play for one team coach for one team i just think that they're not in a great position to um to do it but i i do think that if you were able to blend enough national reporters enough advanced scouts uh and i'm not even sure what the last group would be but something where it's like you've got people that you know their job is to watch yeah multiple games a night um they're seeing a lot of basketball and i think that's pretty much all you can ask for i would
1: love to and maybe we could talk about this off air but i would love to get your process of what you do throughout the season to try and hit all teams because that's absolutely i can tell you right
0: here yeah uh it's it's uh I mean, I remember asking Zach Lowe this question. I don't know if he's talked about it publicly, like because he, I'm,
1: he's... I'm like, I'm, a, I'm in year one of that, and I'm still yeah. trying to figure out what the process is of how to hit every team and do it
0: properly. You set up like a grid system, and you just you, you've for me, I try to hit every team twice during yeah. the week, uh, and you know some of them you're going to hit. Now it's almost easier to do that because you've got back to backs and True. stuff like that, yeah, yeah. Uh, where they're playing each other, um, and so even if you didn't get them the first night, you can watch them that same matchup later in the week uh or you could catch up on film overnight and stuff like that yeah Uh, but it's 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 so easy to play favorites there's certain teams you really enjoy watching there's certain teams that are more of a grind and so um you know if that's the case maybe you try to watch the pistons on a night where they're playing one of the teams that you really enjoy watching or something like that but either way you make sure that you're watching every team at least once and and try to watch them twice a week yeah um and it's 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 a challenge. It's so much time, and that's what I'm saying. Is like for me, I would feel somewhat guilty, feeling like there might be people out there that aren't taking it seriously. I know I at least take it seriously. I watch a lot of games, yeah. so you want to make sure that you're um, because of that that you're voting if you can, so that the process is at least. Uh, I mean, it's legitimate either way, but um, yeah. Well, I feel it's, like it'd be a disservice if I'm not voting. Yeah, it's right. it's
1: as objective as you possibly can. Name of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it, it's it's part of the the process to to figure that out. And I think this year, what I've, I've tried to do is I have just a tally system. It's like okay, how just to see where my head's at and where I usually lean. Obviously, being in Toronto, I, I have to mm-hmm. watch a lot of Raptors games. But just where else do I lean? And Sure, Look, man. The, them Sacramento Kings. They they make me watch a lot of late night basketball. Like, they, man,
0: you they know, kept me up a lot of nights this year. Just yep. they've been, and you could see it from the second week of the season. I mean, their yeah. first week they were competitive. I think they lost the first four games, but then just every game they were in for a long time was really competitive. You could tell something was different with them. I figured it wouldn't last as long as far as how interesting they were to watch. But right. yeah. Uh, but either way, yeah. Okay.
1: Let's, uh, let's, let's get into some, uh, Eastern Conference playoffs. But before that, ladies and gentlemen, it is March Mania. Actually, wait, no, it's April Mania at Sports Interaction. The NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball is back. And of course, March Madness. It's it. the final showdown is today or last night. If you're listening to this in the morning, so much going on, so much to talk about. It is bananas. Play pinata picks and minute madness exclusive games. You can't play anywhere else. Use the QR code on your screen at the bottom of your screen to download. Or visit sportsinteraction.com slash STPN. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, Chris, I brought you on here because, look, the Eastern Conference playoff race is almost set. I feel like it is much clearer than, much yes. more clear than the Western Conference. The West is just muddy. We still don't know. We probably won't know until the final day of the season. Um, but the East, there's at least a structure there. and And I think most of the matchups we can sort of sniff out and figure out. The one thing I wanted to mention, uh, just off the top is the, the Sixers and Bucks played last night. The Milwaukee Bucks handled business. I mean, they, they really routed the Sixers. Um, Celtics and Sixers is tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, actually it's today. If you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, um, has there been anything in these recent matchups between the top three dogs in the East that has potentially changed your opinion on how you look at the top three?
0: Not just yet. I mean, um, the the main reason I say that you you just said that um, Milwaukee handled business against Philly, Boston obviously handled business against Milwaukee, right? Yeah. Uh, earlier in the week, to the point where it was like, you know, I I tuned into it a little bit late, and I was like, oh boy, like I've already missed the party. Uh, it's already yeah. over. Yeah. Uh, it was just such a big margin so early. Uh, not really. I mean, Philly had a a stretch where they. You know, they were the hottest team in the league. They were naturally probably going to cool down a little bit. Um And they've also played, you know, a, a season series where they've been, all all things considered, they've been pretty competitive with mm-hmm. Milwaukee this season. So I don't, I think what's been weird about this year, um and one of the things that's made me think about it a lot was, uh, you know, Michael Malone's comments about, you know, Milwaukee and uh, Denver playing. And then obviously the, for the last two years, it's felt like now, Embiid and Jokic, whenever they're going to have a matchup, it's a national TV matchup. But in some cases, as Michael Malone has pointed out, it's been like on the second end of a back-to-back. Yeah. And he's like, why would you do that? Like, if you've got two MVP candidates playing against each other, you're running the risk of one guy not being available, which has happened. Um, So I all that said, and that's without even having looked at the, you know, like what the the rest uh advantages were like in these games over the last few weeks with against these uh, contenders I I just can't put too much stock in any one game uh, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of what it comes down to for me so not really I mean I have some concerns about Philly just generally speaking but yes. I but not you know from that game and the fact that it played out the way it did or what have you I I don't make too much of that
1: yeah, I, I'm really I'm really interested in what Philly does this. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's so much pressure on them going into the playoffs. The James Harden situation, we don't know what's going to happen in the summer. But also, yeah. you know, with with Embiid, there's the the questions of, hey, um, you know, you've been hurt the last couple of seasons in the postseason. Can you be able to be available at the very least? Right. Um, and I think I think Boston and Milwaukee have been a cut above Philly for for pretty much all season. But Philly has been incredible. They they're probably the third best team in the NBA if we're looking at the the ecosphere mm. of everything, uh, Western Conference included. How good of a shot do you think Philly has to potentially oust one of these two in a series? And which one do you feel more comfortable about? Because they match up very differently, right? The size advantage. Oh, yeah. The size advantage Milwaukee has, I think, over Philly is is interesting. Uh, I think the depth is also a, a very key factor here. Boston has a ton of pieces that they can throw out. Where do you lean if you had to pick between, you know, Philly beating Boston or Philly
0: beating I, I, I really think that, and and I mean, like the season series, whether you want to make too much of it or not that much of it, Mm -hmm. I, I can't ever imagine someone saying that they want Milwaukee, but if I'm Philly, I would prefer Milwaukee uh, in a, in a matchup. They've split the season series with them. As you were saying, they're going to play Boston one more time um on Tuesday but they're zero three against Boston uh yeah they and that's do not Boston. like playing the
1: Celtics yeah
0: man. no I just don't think it's a good matchup for them and like on some level it, it's not overwhelmingly complicated I, I wouldn't think I mean Boston's got two of the best wings in the league um and when you look at where Philly is potentially weak defensively I mean they you're not you know Tyrese Maxey and James Harden are not going to be on anybody's like all NBA yeah for defensive purposes. Uh So, all NBA defense. So that's just like naturally going to be a sore spot for them. Can they make up for it in different ways? Sure. Uh, Are there certain things that they could take advantage of? Maybe. Sure. Um, Do I think that some of that bodes better for them against Milwaukee? Absolutely. Uh, I think for starters, I don't think that Embiid at least is is like afraid of Giannis when he's coming down the lane, it doesn't mean Giannis isn't going to have success here and there, but the idea of Embiid being able to clog the paint and maybe serve as a deterrent when Giannis is looking for things. Also, when we talk about just tiring out Joel Embiid, uh, you're going to see times where Giannis is there at the three-point line, and Philly is just going to be able to dare him to shoot, and so it's, you know, Giannis will try sometimes to take advantage of that and just try to build up ahead of steam, but I also could imagine that Embiid is going to be able to rest some of the time by just kind of daring Giannis to shoot, you can't do that against Boston. It's part of the reason that, you know, it's going to put Embiid in more situations where um, he's going to have to come up a lot higher. Um, And who knows? Milwaukee will probably do that a little bit, too, with Brook Lopez. But um, I just think that it's it's a little bit – and again, the season series, I think, kind of tells the story – Milwaukee, I think, is a team I would want if I'm Philly, but I'm not excited about playing either one. You, yeah, you just you know have... you're going to have to go through one of them to to, to win the East, and I, yeah, that's the reality is that they're good enough. I, I don't know that I would pick them, but they're good enough to to make it happen four times in a seven game series. They've got you know someone that obviously deserves. He should be MVP. It feels like he should. He deserves to be MVP, and and is a guy that is rightly in that conversation. Yeah. Um. But again, I don't know that anybody really in their mind says, like, I want Milwaukee because they look like the favorites to me. Yeah. Um, despite what just happened against Boston. I think that they're, they deserve to be in that spot with, with their record, with the fact that they played most of the season without Chris Middleton and without a good Chris Middleton for a long portion of that time. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, like yeah. you said, I don't think that Boston is a good matchup for, for Philly, at least not from what we've seen.
1: I agree with you. Um, I do think there are two things to look out for if you're Philly facing Milwaukee. That is transition defense. And I think Philly's transition defense has just been really, really bad all season. It goes back to Harden. It goes back to Maxi. But Mm -hmm. Milwaukee's a team that can get out in transition, and they're deadly uh, when they're on the fast break. How they limit those transition opportunities is going to be so massive. The other thing is, both Milwaukee and Boston, they can go smaller on you, right? They can start an Al Horford at the five. They can go Giannis at the five if they want to. And Milwaukee now has like a ton of flexibility with Jay Crowder, right? Throwing him in there. Chris Middleton's yeah, back into he's it he's such
0: a big key for them now. Yeah. I could not believe nobody picked him up over the course of the season yeah. that whole time they was in Phoenix. I still can't. Yeah,
1: exactly. I, I just I think there's there's a little bit more flexibility to the ways that Milwaukee and Boston can approach a playoff series, any given playoff series, not even just against Philly that Philly doesn't have, um, yeah. I think it, it goes back to maybe having the backup five that they, they've they been missing all year. I know B-ball, B-Ball Paul has been a big fan in Philly, but like, <laughs> I, I, I'm just not sure if you can rely on a smaller lineup and try to match those teams. And if you go bigger, then then there's the questions of like, okay, uh, how are you gonna be able to guard the transition? How are you, all that. So I don't know, yeah. I, I, have, I have my questions about Philly, but I would not be surprised if they end up toppling Milwaukee or Boston, it just, it would mean this. they need to play a perfect series uh, I yeah, think, to, yeah. to do it.
0: They, they're capable. It's just like, this needs to be the best series that we've seen from a guy like Embiid. He, he has to be healthy. PJ Tucker can't be in foul trouble. Like there's yeah. a lot, like PJ Tucker's got to be willing to shoot. There's yeah. a lot of things in this series that just have to go perfectly. They've got to limit transition quite a bit, as you, you pointed out. Yeah. Doc has got to really coach his butt off. Oh, yeah, Quite frankly, uh, to, to I won't say to give them a chance, they'll have a chance, but um, you know, it, it's just I, I feel like, like you said, it, it does feel like the other two teams are a cut above. Um, feels like maybe even factor in. if it
1: feels like maybe even Maxi is like the the may, maybe could be the deciding factor if Maxi is looking like he did in round one against the Raptors last season, where he was last a, year, yeah, man, yeah, he was he was amazing, he was all the 50, 40, 90 on like 20 plus, you know what I mean? So I I, I think if he can be that level of a player for you, now there's a level of dynamism on the offensive end that I think Philly can compete with Boston Milwaukee a little bit more. It would,
0: it it would speak to what we're saying about the idea of like maybe making up for where you're going to lose out on defense. Mm -hmm. If he can outshoot the defensive concerns, then sure. But if not, then it's uh, a, it's just one where it's hard to see them as the favorite. I'll put it that way. But also let's see what happens in the first round. Uh, you know, we, we've seen teams come out of the first round with injuries before. Uh, and so maybe that changes the dynamic a little bit, too, in terms of rotations and whatnot. Yeah, I
1: mean, the the Chris Middleton situation last year, right? Like,
0: Absolutely. Misses the
1: playoffs. And now the complexion of the NBA, like the, the championship contenders just completely Absolutely. changed. So, um, yeah. Okay, so so we've talked about the top of the East for a little bit. I want to talk about the bottom half of the Eastern okay. Conference playoff race just just as as a quick aside obviously there's brooklyn there's miami there's atlanta toronto chicago but are there any teams in that second half that would fear you would, would would put fear in you if you are a milwaukee if you are a boston if you are a philly and i have a feeling we both would probably say the same team here but i'm curious to see if there's one team that kind of sticks out to you as like as a potential upset type of type of
0: content. okay um so so with this are you talking about anybody that's seated lower than 4 or are you talking about the teams that are kind of still in play in range? I would say
1: I would say you could do play in range but I would say after the Knicks. After the Knicks. Okay. What, okay, what, what's going on? That's there, what I was you know? asking basically. Yeah. Uh
0: I I'll, I'll say Miami. Uh okay. you know, I, I'm tempted. I, I made I won't say made this mistake and also they had injuries. I picked Toronto as that team last year How and nice. uh, yeah. and I, so it's like it's tough for me to go back there this year. Uh <laughs> There, there hasn't been a whole, whole lot of consistency there. Yeah, definitely you, see right. the talent. Yeah, yeah. you see the talent, you see the size, and I think it, it, it's intriguing to want to pick them again. I'll say Miami, uh, and, and and specifically my feeling about Miami shifts a lot based on whether they can kind of displace Brooklyn as the team that's in six. Yeah, uh, you feel a lot better about Miami's. Like, I don't even know that I trust Miami to go in and win two playing games necessarily. Uh yeah. they've had a weird you know, so season, man.
1: They've had a very that's weird how strange
0: season. the season has been. If yeah. if they're six, like, could I see them beating Philly mm-hmm. in the right circumstances? Sure. We just talked about what Philly's flaws were. Uh, Miami is not a team that you know is just really. Uh, burns the house down, the shooting or anything like that. Yeah, but they can get hot potentially. They've got the sorts of guys that can and the sort of role players that can. They can play lineups where they decide to kind of prioritize their offense more than their defense, and so they can do it. Uh, and they have experience more so than than some of these other teams down toward the bottom. I would say even more. You know, certainly more than than Brooklyn with this iteration of the team. So uh, I I could see it. Eric Spolster is a fantastic coach. I could see it again. Do I think it's likely that was why I asked about the Knicks because I could see the Knicks maybe doing some of that, but I don't right, right. think yeah. I feel quite as strongly about the heat or, or really anybody else uh, as much as I'm always intrigued by Toronto. Uh, but what do you think? How do you feel? I just,
1: I think Jimmy Butler is the, I mean, whenever you have a chance to to play a playoff series and, And you're looking at it, you're like, "Hey, we've worked all season. We're a top three seed, and oh, by the way, you have to face Jimmy Butler in the first round." Right. (laughs) I I feel like that's a tough pill to swallow if you're Philly, especially because of the the personal side of that. If it's Philly versus Miami, right? You have the Mm -hmm. Tobias over me situation. You know. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I just I think it would be a much closer series if it was Philly Miami versus it being obviously Philly Brooklyn or 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 anything like that. With Miami though. Um, I think there's a level of questions about what their depth can do. I think you know. Oh, you for can, sure. You know, you can, you know what you'll get from Jimmy, especially in the playoffs. You know what Bam will give you to a certain extent. I think the offensive. But what uh, about
0: everybody else?
1: What is everybody? I, I mean, Kyle yeah. Lowry, right? Is, is like a huge factor. This been obviously watched him grow up here in Toronto and you have the questions of how much pin, how much juice can they squeeze out of that rotation? What, yeah. who they can rely on? Uh, and I think that's where the question's coming with Miami. It's like, how can we rely on 8 nine non-guys to be able to throw into a playoff Yeah,
0: series? Including guys that have been in and out of the rotation, depending on yeah. what's happening, whether they can give you enough defense. I'm looking squarely at you, Duncan Robinson. <laughs> Those sorts of things. Like, it's a weird, I, I mean, let's just be real. It's It's a team that has done well in the past, but it's part of the reason I think they've struggled is that they have so many guys that, they take a lot of pride in kind of the, the homegrown guys and the guys that are yeah. um, G League finds and stuff like that, the guys that weren't even drafted. But uh, it gets difficult when your rotation is made up of most, largely guys like that. And then Jimmy and Bam and, and Hero. Yeah, That's kind yeah. of what it is at times. Uh, Lowry has been a guy that, you know, I think as recently as this past week said he's not going to be able to play in back to backs. So you're at that point, you part of you feels good hearing that because you're like, we're really preserving this guy for playoff basketball when you're not going to have back-to-backs. But that said, you've still kind of gotten scattershot results from this team. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the strangest Miami teams I can remember. It's a team that defends much, much better in zone than they do uh, in, in just man to man. And because of that, they use zone like twice as much as anybody else in the league. And so that's, Potentially a factor, you know, if, if Philly or someone else just isn't hitting shots, that maybe Miami stays in that zone even longer. Uh, you right. really have to force them out of that. Uh, but that's a comfort zone for them. So, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting team, but it's the sort of team that I think could steal around because of that. Uh, let alone the experience, let alone the top level talent they've got with Bam and Jimmy, for sure. Also feels like a
1: team that would have to ask themselves a lot of questions in the summer. If, if depending- they don't. Yeah, depending yeah. on what happens. And and maybe it's not like uh Philadelphia 76ers level questions where it's like oh where is where's James Harden going, etc. I think it's sure. just questions of like okay, where where are we at here? What is mm-hmm. what is our future outlook like? Jimmy's obviously getting into his mid 30s. You have Lowry late in his 30s. Yeah, what are the how can yeah. we look at the future of this team and what the implication of this team, is, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay.
1: We have one playoff series in the East that is almost deadlocked, right? Just just one. Uh, mm-hmm. And let's talk about it. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the New York Knicks. Donovan Mitchell playing against the team that he thought he was going to get traded to. Uh, You obviously, New York is your stomping grounds, were your stomping grounds. Uh, it's going to be a fun series. I think obviously anytime the Knicks are in a playoff series, the atmosphere at MSG is going to be incredible. What do you think is going to be the biggest X factor for that series? Who or what in general do you think is that? That thing that could kind of change the tides or, or switch switch the tides, if you
0: will. I I think for the Knicks, it's their their wing play, and and by that, I I kind of almost feel more strongly about like their young guys. I, I don't know how young Josh Hart is anymore, but I think about him. <laughs> I think about somebody like Grimes who would have their first playoff experience with this team, but yeah. how useful they've been. Grimes has, I think, been averaging twenty a game for the last five or six. Um, Pretty much right around that, you know, since Randall's been out slightly before that, Hart has been shooting like 50, 55% from three since he became a Nick, or something like that. So I think for them, it's that. I think for Cleveland, it's that you have to make your size count, right? Uh, where you've got to uh, bully the Knicks a little bit. I mean, they've got Brunson coming down the lane and, and hitting fadeaways and mid range shots day in, day out. Uh, you've got to just be you you just basically have to show your strength here um, mm-hmm. and and just kind of dominating them on the glass where you can. And I think really showing your size at the rim to deter someone like Brunson from coming in and having a field day. So, yep. the, you know, different X factors for for each team, but that's kind of what I look at uh, for right now.
1: I mean, very quietly, because there's been a lot of conversation about Dan Jackson Jr. and how great the Grizzlies have been on defense. Obviously, mm-hmm. the, the Lopez Giannis connection with Milwaukee, but the Caps have been the number one season defense essentially all year. All uh, like year, just trekking along, no problems, no, 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 you know, conversation about defense player of the year awards or anything. But they've very quietly, and and they've done so with two undersized guards. So you know it's the rim protection, yeah. of Mobley, the weak side protection that Mobley provides. The the obviously the rim deter that is Jared Allen. I wonder how that looks against the Knicks ISO heavy style because the Knicks mm. their are top five in isolations. Randall and Brunson are constantly going to try to break you down off the dribble, right? How does that look when you know on the weak side or on the second line of defense, you have Mobley that's going to come at you. Yeah. You have Jared <laughs> Allen that's going to come at you. How does that look in a grind ball type of scenario? And to, to your point earlier, the Knicks have been able to play grind ball all season. I mean, they are crashing the yeah. offensive glass. They're winning the possession battle. But, but how does that look now when you're playing a team in a seven-game series, a team that can also – defend
0: the hell out of the ball right yeah I I could tell you how it looked uh two years ago when the Knicks made it and Randall just put his head down and tried to go at Clint Capella left and right and it didn't work uh I don't even remember if Randall shot 30 percent in that series it was it was like horrific uh right and I you know and that team in fairness to him and the Knicks was built a lot differently like Alfred Payton was their starting point guard uh so oh to have God. Brunson I about that yeah yeah I mean so you understood some of his uh decision making to like kind of feel like he had to do it himself it was largely him and Barrett and and you know yeah. I remember Thibodeau bringing Rose off the bench and having him start in Alfred Payton's place because they just weren't producing enough offense this is different you've got Brunson that said I don't think that that means that you don't have to swing the ball more like Mm -hmm. they're going to have to trust the pass more in this series because you're going to get really rudely interrupted uh, a lot of times when you go to the basket, if not with a blocked shot, then with one that is like heavily altered. Um, But I'll say this to that point. I think that the Knicks are... I think it's been a a slight blessing in disguise, um, and I'll probably write on this later tonight for tomorrow's newsletter, about the idea that I think Randall being out helps them a little bit or has the potential to help them is maybe a more Mm. better way to put it. Um, because other guys are going to be forced to kind of step up, uh, and, you know, we just talked about Grimes before, uh, you're getting other guys shots. And I think that that's important heading into a tough playoff series where, you know, teams are going to key in on Randall. They're certainly going to key in on Brunson. So like, are the other guys in enough of a rhythm and do they feel comfortable and confident that they're going to get the ball? And I think that, um, having that right before the playoff start can be really useful for them to kind of develop a little bit of a rhythm and a trust.
1: I don't remember seeing this, but has Randall been officially ruled out for a series one or
0: is it? The, no, the no, 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 no. I'm not, too? I'm not saying from that standpoint, I'm just saying from the standpoint of,
1: Oh, um, I got you. I got you. I just, got you. just yeah, so yeah.
0: that these guys can develop more responsibility and, and you know, like, Sticking them into a series like that, it's, right, granted. Right. it's yeah. not the same, but no, I think he, they were saying they'd reevaluate him in two weeks, I think was what it was. So it's not a given necessarily that he's back, but I think that it's it's just like everybody else where maybe two later weeks the they'll series. reevaluate yeah. and they're hoping that they can have him back shortly after. I, I, my guess is that he'll be ready when right. they play because it's been about a week now, if not, then close to that. Um,
1: then so they have got another of week play-ins. until the,
0: yeah, right. So I, I think that he'll probably have enough time, uh, you know, if not the very start of the series and I would imagine like game two, game three, he's back. Yeah. I think guess.
1: if if I'm looking at it from
0: New York's perspective,
1: being the five seed, if you will, but I, I really do think the Knicks have a chance to win this series. There's uh, even, even with the question mark of Randall moving forward. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think he ends up playing too, but, um, there's, there's two things that stick out to me. It's the Knicks' depth. I think they've obviously, you mentioned it with Josh Hart, Quint Grimes. There's a level of, of trust that they now have in their seven, eight, nine guys that I don't think Cleveland has, uh, yeah. to that level. Uh, the other thing is if you're looking at it from a defensive perspective, you have guys who can, can hound Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland at the point of attack with Grimes, with Barrett, who has been shown that like at times he can be a very good defender. Hart, obviously quickly. So these are guys that you can throw out. To guard those guys. And the big question with the Cavs, as it's been for the last two seasons, is, okay, when the well gets dry on Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, how else are you going to generate something, you know? And that's where I think New York can come in and really exploit that. But... What do you, what do you think about, you know, New York's chances against against the Cavs in this situation?
0: No, no, no. I mean, I, I I've got in big bold letters here on my notes. Knicks have a big edge here and it's just Knicks bench right. versus Cavs bench. Uh quickly, I mean, very well could be sixth man of the year. He probably has my vote. I've I've been holding out as yeah. long as I can. Um, you know, but there's only a couple games left at this point. Um, he's he's good defensively. The Knicks are tough defensively off the bench as well. Uh in large part because of Quickly. And that was always a question. I mean, the the Cavs have had a lot of injuries this year uh, kind of at that position, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's been Wade um, or uh, Marcevins. Just different guys have been out at different times. And so we've seen a lot of Karis Levert. Obviously, he can score in bunches. Uh, He also can start for them. Um, They've got Rubio. who came back in the middle of the season off his ACL injury. Yeah. Yeah, so they've got guys, but it's like that you don't feel quite as good about and, and I mean, they went big. They, they traded a lot of that depth to go get Donovan Mitchell, so you yeah. understand it. Um, I feel a lot better about the the Knicks in their secondary stuff. Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting. It could be a really nice coming out party for uh, for Mobley when we talk about their secondary creation and ball handling. He certainly is capable, oh, yeah. uh, and it'll be interesting too to see kind of how the Knicks match up against some of that defensively if if he's out kind of more at the elbow what does that mean for for Mitchell Robinson uh, or whoever is going to be guarding uh, Mobley at different times Uh, does it kind of leave stuff open along the backside uh, for Mobley to find those passes that he really likes to throw Um, so I'm very intrigued by the matchup I think it'll probably be the best one of the first round maybe in either conference to be honest with you
1: yeah really so even if it's like uh, Phoenix Golden State on the other side you think Cavs, Knicks. Really? Damn, you, you,
0: you just you just raised a good point. Uh, <laughs> I, I like you said the West is not as figured out of the ones yeah, we know true. will happen, which is not that many yet. This is the best Fair one. Uh, yeah. There are some potentially fascinating matchups out west. I mean, whether it's that uh, whoever draws Sacramento, we keep hearing right. the drumbeat yeah. of teams gunning for them. And and like in fairness to to those other teams, Mike Brown himself said, "I would gun for us too." So right. it's uh, I can't remember a time. Really, teams being that blunt about that, or a coach saying that himself. But mm-hmm. as we say that, I mean, we're watching Sacramento continue to give up 140 points at home, you know, yeah. in, in a losing right. effort. So uh, I understand it, and it, it'll be fascinating. Like I keep thinking, if Sacramento draws a, a California team, whether it's Golden State or the Lakers for yeah. the first round, it's like, oh wow! So the, all of the Clippers, we're about right? their home court yeah. advantage uh it, it's a different feel at that point if that's the case uh versus if they play a minnesota or something like that although minnesota yeah. has given them problems this year too so yeah. neither here nor there but it's uh so maybe you're right but in the eastern conference i think we can pretty safely say that'll be the most interesting matchup for sure in the the, the
1: last time i remember i mean although there have been a lot of like oh let's let's tank to get to six or whatever before one of the first times I ever remember hearing about that was in the 2005-2006 season. The Toronto Raptors were the 3 seed. Now back then they used to do it based on division, right? So Yeah, I remember. The, if so you stupid. won the Atlantic Division, you ended up yeah, you ended up winning it and the, the right. Raptors they they somehow they would have been like 6th or 7th but they ended up 3rd because of that and everybody yeah. was gunning <laughs> for that. The Nets, of course. I think the Nets the, the Nets the Vince Carter Nets lost like two or 3 games in a row at the end of the year yeah. just to get them and then they, <laughs> they, the Nets ended up winning the series. So, I it, yeah. it's worked before, I guess. You know what I
0: mean? So, I mean, I will say though, because I mean, I think if the, I, I think the Kings officially, did they officially lose their opportunity to hit fifty wins with their loss last night? Yes. um Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like it, it's rare that you've got teams that are gonna, especially in the West, to finish in third and not have fifty wins. I mean, it's. Yeah. Because of the way those teams are bunched in the West, it's it's. I think teams have been a little too, or not teams, but analysts, everybody has kind of been a little bit too gleeful in talking about the Kings. But the reality is all these teams are within five or six games of each other. And at that point, you're willing to take your chances with a team that is, it's different when you're talking about a team that is 10, 12 games better than you are. Uh, When it's a team that's within five or six games and you've had injuries that maybe you could have won more games because that the Kings have basically been perfectly healthy this year and, All and, and right. it's taken everything they've had on offense and with health to get to 49 wins, potentially I think right. they're at 46 now. So they're not unbeatable. There's a very clear uh, blueprint to beat them. You just have to be willing to defend uh, a team that is very, very, very hard to stop, but you're yeah. going to be able to get your points too. And if you're a California team, you're probably going to feel good about cutting into the home court advantage. So Especially with um, it, the
1: inherent flaws, right? That, like, there's a very clear way to approach a Sacramento Kings series. And yes. I, I, I know we've, we've kind of dived off into a different conversation. Yes, we have. By the way, we, if, if anybody is, want, listen and, and read your article about the, I don't know why I said listen, but look, read your article you so on much. Sacramento oh. Kings and De'Aaron and Fox. I you. love that. that. was That was an awesome thing. I really um,
0: appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Of course, man. Of course. So, look, we we talk Cavs next. What what's your what's your prediction overall with that? Would you right now, if <sighs> you're leaning one way, would you go Cavs? Would you go Cleveland? I personally, if I had to pick one, I think I'm just betting on the shot making and playoff repertoire of Donovan Mitchell. If we're if we had to go at it, and I'm gonna say Cavs.
0: And they would your... and they would have home court advantage, too. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's that part of it. I feel like because of all that, I probably give the edge to them. It's a really weird thing to say about yeah. a team. I mean, one of the things you had in our, our notes beforehand was like, can either of these teams upset the top dogs? In the East? I think both of them could. And that's what's right. weird is that I could see. I don't think I'd bet on it for the Knicks, but like I could see either team winning two rounds. Um, mm-hmm. So it's weird to say to pick the Cavs, even though I think the Knicks are capable of potentially winning two series. uh, I think if I had to, I'd pick the Cavs like defense travels. They're the best defense in the league. Uh, It's also a little strange to pick a team that's never been in the playoffs. This iteration of this team has not been in the playoffs before. That said, they've got a guy that's had 50 in a playoff game before. So it's, it's, it's a very strange series, but that's what makes it really fun from the outside looking in. So I would yeah. probably pick Cavs too. I think it would probably go 6 or 7 to be honest yeah, with you.
1: Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. I I with, with the top dogs question and how they can upset man, New York poses a very interesting I mean both teams do, but they both pose a really interesting threat to Milwaukee specifically because they mm-hmm. can they can they can outsize you. They can be big, they can be strong, they can be that physical team um mm-hmm. and I I love that about both of these teams. It's going to be a grind. I've this series, I feel like it's going to be a bit of a grind, but it'll be an awesome series. Yeah, um I agree. Okay, you. so we we sort of talked about the Sixers heat situation and what what that would look like. Uh but real quick, let's just talk about the Brooklyn Nets. They're obviously going to be a playoff team, maybe a play team, depending on if Miami Key them. but they're going to be in the in the mix regardless. Do you feel what do you even look for when you're looking at the Nets when it comes to the playoffs? Is this just a feel good, hey, l- let's let's watch Mikhail Bridges body and dominate? Is what is the Like what are we even looking for with Brooklyn now? You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it probably should be treated that way. That I mean, this is a team that (laughs) has had more turbulent like changes than any one I can really recall in recent memory. Uh, So because of that, I mean, you're remember where they started when they made this trade to begin with. So they're kind of just uh, managing to stay in the you know if they can avoid the plan to stay in that top six. I think that this is a really good experience. Like, Even though Bridges and Cam and Johnson have playoff experience and the other guys in this roster have playoff experience, they don't with this iteration. And no. uh, it's, yeah. it's part of the same question we just had about the Donovan Mitchell thing with, with the Cavs. Um, so because of that, I think you kind of have to, to treat it as more of a one-off. Uh, if you can push a series uh, to six, I think you have to be feel good about that just because this is a team that is not really great on either side of the ball. I think we mm-hmm. all expected them to be a lot better defensively than they have been. They've been better lately than they yeah. were at the start, but um, normally you kind of want to look at like, what is this team's strength? What are they riding to get to, you know, a serious victory or something like that? And I don't, I'm just not really sure. I see it if, if they're up against, even if they're up against Philly, which we said, Philly has flaws. Philly has some things that you can poke at, I don't know if they've got so many to where I would expect Brooklyn to beat them uh, right. or that yeah. I would feel like they could beat them. They've got a lot of shooting on the roster. So like crazier things have happened. Um, I would be very surprised if if Brooklyn pushes a series and wins it. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I do think that it'll be really fun to watch bridges for a, a first go round as a essentially as a number one option. He's been playing yeah. his butt off as a number one option. I do think that that, mandate looks a lot different when you're number one option in a playoff series and so, yeah how does it, it look how when it how yeah right how does
1: it look when all the defensive attention is on you the yeah. scouting report everybody is geared up towards stopping you um mm-hmm. and i agree i think it'll be a good experience for bridges it'll be a good experience for cam johnson who can be in that thing how does nick claxon look as a as a you i can't know?
0: wait to see how Claxton right. does because he yeah i mean like he it's been such a a, a good season for him uh kind yeah. of it as all the stuff has been going on with Brooklyn, one of the quiet things that's kind of happened, because I think a lot of us had the question when uh Simmons was healthy enough to play, like, what does that look like with him and Claxton, the right. two guys that are kind of non-shooters? Simmons obviously has been ruled out, and so it's it's pre- presented so much opportunity for Claxton, and he's been wonderful and, and Absolutely. defensively. So I'm excited to see them. I just don't expect much from them, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, I agree with you.
1: And and I think that's, that's okay. I think that's that like, if you're a Nets fan, it's okay to say, Hey, look, like, let's see what the, what, what can we do in the playoffs? Where are we at? Where it's kind of like a, just a test to see where, where they can really be and what they can be moving forward. Um, I, we we sort of touched on Philly, Miami, I guess, overall, is there anything that catches your mind uh, when it comes to that series? Is there anything that you want to discuss real quick before we, we kind of move on?
0: The, the thing I've got in all caps here is just like, can Miami tire out Embiid or get him in foul trouble? Just because mm-hmm. I think that that's the game changer there. You, you mentioned Jimmy and just obviously having a player of that caliber on a lower seated team always right. gives them a chance, uh, not to mention Bam. Uh, I, I just think that if, you know, as, as we saw with last year's series uh, when they played against each other, uh, if Embiid isn't there, or isn't right. Uh, or you know isn't fully available or if he's off the floor for a lot of that time it obviously yeah. opens a door for them uh i i even if that happened would i pick miami i just haven't felt an ability to trust them this year which makes it tougher for a team that is a 50 win team going up against a 51 team but right. there's a chance there's a chance for them to steal a series if they can be aggressive about going in and beating you know jimmy will be that's just how he the is. playoff
1: Jimmy stuff would be out of this world if they end up upsetting Philly. In the
0: Man, it, yeah. there'd be so many coffee sales and everything else and <laughs> yeah, shit yeah. talking. I, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. I hope it happens.
1: Okay, well, so so we we've, we've kind of went through through a bunch of different uh, aspects, just tackling different angles when it comes to the East playoffs. All that being said, the conference feels like it's being decided between Boston and Milwaukee. And I know we've yeah. talked about Philly here that that can potentially be the upset here. But has has anything, do you feel confident in it being between those two? Or like if you had to make a bet right now, it's, hey, the, the, these two are the runaways and it's not really close. Or do you feel more open to a Cavs upset, to a Knicks upset, to a, to a Sixers upset, whatever, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've both kind of said that we're we're willing to to consider those possibilities. It wouldn't be the craziest thing that's ever happened. But um, that said, I mean, we're, you know, Boston was kind of the dominant team for the first two months or so of the season. And then Mm -hmm. from that point on, even before Middleton was really fully back and really completely looking himself, Milwaukee kind of took that, um, that torch and ran with it. And yeah, um, has looked comfortable. They've gotten guys healthy, aside from Middleton. I mean, obviously, Ingles was not there to start the season. Javon Carter has been one of the, the more improved players throughout the league this year. Portis missed time. Um, you know, Giannis has, has missed games here and there. They they just looked the part. And even offensively, you know, w- which they did not look good offensively to start the season, which I think was understandable. That's kind of been the case whenever they've had Middleton out for long stretches. they've been humming offensively for the most part now that that boston lost i think it's the
1: fifth best half court offense third best half court actually sorry let me get this right the fourth best half court offense since january
0: 1st so right which they were like a bottom five bottom six offense for a good portion of the first half of the season so if you were to look at their season-long numbers you're probably thinking there's not much to really be concerned about yeah. uh you have to kind of have more of a recency maybe not bias but just if you shorten the window to just what have you done for me lately they've been great offensively um Giannis has been fantastic and is going to be a deserving MVP candidate again yeah. um, and I think the big thing with Milwaukee is just that all their guys uh not even just Milwaukee Boston this is somewhat true of too because of Brogdon this year uh everybody slides down a role and kind of, you know, is asked to do a little bit less because you've got all this playmaking on the yeah. rest Carter has been really good for them for the box Ingles Takes some of that uh, off of guys' shoulders for a possession or two. Drew Man. has had an, a great season and, you know, that's not to even mention Brogdon and how good he's been um, alongside of, uh, of Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. So it's, I mean, it's, it's going to be a fascinating matchup if they play, yeah. I think, I I tweeted a couple weeks ago, like what I would have given, you know, I'm I'm a reporter, so I don't have to pay to get into games or anything like that. (laughs) But like, I would have paid out of my pocket to watch a game seven last year where Middleton's playing as opposed to having to watch because, you know, just the curiosity of what would have happened. We had a team that, uh, you know, that, that beat Boston, obviously, but would Milwaukee have just won the whole thing if, if they were fully healthy? They got to a seventh game. And it was yeah. very clear last year that Milwaukee was overextended without uh Chris Middleton because Drew Holiday was taking twenty-one or twenty-two shots a game, which is not the range you want him in. He can do it, but right. he might shoot thirty-five, thirty-three percent doing it. And uh, you know, we, we we watch Giannis dominate that way, but he's going to get tired out from everything he's asked to do. And it, it, it gives someone like Grant Williams a chance to change the series in a game seven. So uh, I, I can't wait for this series. If it happens, I hope it happens.
1: I, I think, I think in, it, it inevitably does. Um, I mean, it, it seems like Boston is going to be on one side of the bracket and, and, and Milwaukee will be on one side of the bracket. So they do have to kind of face the competition in front of them and beat them to get to that point. But mm-hmm. I think at inevitably Eastern Conference Finals will probably be Boston versus Milwaukee. Boston has had the upper hand here throughout the season when it comes mm-hmm. to playing Milwaukee. And I think it's it's a combination of Milwaukee's defense being this Im- immovable object, right? This this formidable thing at the point of attack. You mentioned all of their supporting players. All of those guys are good defenders, right? Javon mm-hmm. Carter has, is a great point of attack defender. Jay Crowder can, can be this big guy that you can throw out there. Um, I think their soundness on defense versus Boston's dynamism on, on offense is going to be the question here. How can Boston outshoot you essentially when Boston is hitting their threes? They're almost unstoppable. So the, the question here is which one breaks and falters first? Is it going to be Milwaukee's mm. defense or is yeah. it going to be Boston's offense in this situation? And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say that Boston's defense is bad because Boston has, has shown pretty consistently that they can defend at a high level when they want to. Mm-hmm. But Milwaukee's defense right now is 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 I feel like it's a it's a little bit ahead of what Boston is right now. And and when it comes to the offense man, like the Celtics can shoot that ball. So I yeah, I, I guess man. which one do you think is is gonna fall first? That's a
0: really tough one. Uh I I just kind of feel like and, and maybe this is too simplistic especially considering that Boston just blew the doors off them the other day. Yeah, yeah. Uh Milwaukee won the title 2 years ago. They would have had a I imagine a really good chance had they had Middleton last year. And I know that that's making light of Milwaukee's offense more and just the fact that, you know, Holiday was forced into a lead role as opposed to maybe more of a secondary role because Middleton was out. Right. Milwaukee's defense though, like when it comes down to it, and they just really need something, I trust them. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe even a little bit more than the Celtics' offense. Like, Brogdon has been nothing but fantastic for Boston. Uh, but I've seen what Milwaukee's defense does when they have to in a playoff setting when they're fully healthy. Um, I mean, we're talking about a defense that very easily could have two guys, maybe three guys, between the first and second all-defense teams. Yeah, uh, Like, they they could have that and uh that plus having middleton back healthy i i think i'm going to take the bucks defense here um even though i know what the celtics offense is capable <laughs> of they go through stretches sometimes um you know there have been some stretches here and there where tatum mm-hmm. has not been great uh mm-hmm. not many of them but just when you looked at there have been plenty of like what's wrong with the celtics pieces over the last two months or so yeah uh They haven't looked like the
1: world beaters. No, you're right, though. They haven't looked like the world beaters they were at the start of the year in October, November, where they were the number one offense in NBA history. Right.
0: And what's interesting about that is that that's, you know, Grant Williams has has slowed down. People kind of question what maybe whether the the contract uh, is kind of hovering over his head a little bit and whether he's thinking about that. Um, even when guys have had really electric performances, Derek White has has had stretches where he's been averaging 20 a game, the same sort of stretch that we were just talking about with Quentin Grimes. Uh, you know, he's done that. Jalen Brown has been fantastic when he's been healthy. Mm-hmm. I think I still am taking Milwaukee's defense uh, just because, yeah. you you know, there's only one basketball sometimes. And I, I think Boston shares the ball wonderfully, but I think sometimes that uh, the ball can stick just a little bit sometimes with with Boston. Yeah in a way that the Bucks will take advantage of that. If you're doing too much of that, they'll load up on you. I think,
1: I think the other aspect of this is that how good Milwaukee's has looked. So it's like, look, if, if you can get stops on one end and then yeah. try to compete and kind of stay up with what Boston is doing on the offensive end, you have a great chance to be able to contend. You mentioned guys like angles and Crowder. And I think those are such good connective pieces. They're just yes. guys who are going to be able to make that extra pass. They're going to make the extra shot, you know, if, if Giannis is on the bench, he's going to be hitting uh, a shot at the end of the third quarter to kind of send them into the fourth. You know, you right. can see those types of things happening in the playoffs. I would lean uh, and look, I guess this is us picking our predictions here to, to finish this off. I right. would lean Milwaukee coming out of the Eastern Conference because of that, because of the fact that I, I trust Milwaukee's defense more than I do boston's
0: offense do you lean this? same we way? also have we we also haven't seen what joe Mazzulla is going to do in the playoffs which like we haven't True. mentioned his name once yeah uh just an enormous x factor that we can take all the assumptions and all the data and all the you know what we've seen from the regular season so far uh you know and and even with ema udoka last year who was fantastic for them uh when it came time to for the playoffs they were solid coming out of the east mm-hmm. um the Miami series obviously was pretty much a push, but then you look at the the series in the finals and just Boston couldn't take care of the ball. And uh, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see some of that. We'll see if there are other defenses that can kind of force the Celtics to look that uncomfortable. But um, yeah. like if I had to pick one in the East right now, it, it's interesting. We're talking about the, the bucks, obviously a lot. Cleveland has a really dominant defense too. And so yeah. what does that look like? You know, depending on how the seating shakes out and if Boston gets them, at some point. We'll see. Uh, but I, I think I would take the Bucks now just because there, there's enough question marks there with, with Boston. I think Missoula is as big a question mark as there is in yeah. the whole conference, quite frankly.
1: And and like when you are at your best, when you look at your best, I feel is important. And Milwaukee, I mean, despite their shellacking <laughs> last week, just absolutely getting dominated by Boston, they've looked really, really good over these last couple of months. I think that goes really well moving into the playoffs, how that transitions. It's important. Um, just a real quick note before we head out. If you had to right now, is your NBA champion coming out of the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference? East.
0: East? Yes. I think so, too. I think so, too.
1: Yeah. I so too. yeah. I, yeah. It, it seems like it's the Bucs here, man. I don't know. Maybe... There's it, just too it, much of
0: a, 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 yeah. a, a, a... Like a mass pile of bodies in the in mm-hmm. the West, just in terms of like they all beat up on each other, you know, Yeah, every one of them. At one point like a week or two ago, whenever uh, Denver was just kind of, you know, they'd lost five out of seven or six out of eight or whatever it had been. So you had them, you had all this stuff going on with Ja and Memphis, who, by the way, played pretty well during that They're, stretch where he was out. Yeah. And even since they've gotten him back, they look good, but yeah. they, but they don't have Steven Adams yet. And it's like, that's a playoff body. Like you want somebody like him there for yeah. all the things that he brings and the the experience that he brings uh Brandon Clark is a huge uh, absence for them and then you've got the Kings who everybody's gunning for you've <laughs> got the Suns that didn't have Durant back you you know and they've looked good by the way I think they have the longest winning streak in the West right now yeah. um and you've got the Warriors who can't win a game on the road and Andrew Wiggins and the Lakers and you know looking good for the most part but having games every now and then where you're just like what is this like the first game <laughs> against the Bulls that they played, yeah. and they just looked awful uh so I say all that to say that, like, it. I mean, none of these teams look foolproof in the West at all. Um If you're the Suns, you're probably feeling I, – I keep thinking that's an advantage for them just because uh I, I would rather gamble on the idea of, like, okay, we haven't played that many games with Durant, but we're healthy. Right. And we've got Durant, and we have Booker, and Chris Paul is running our show, and we're a pretty good defense. I would roll with that. Like, mm-hmm. the, the the jumbled West plus a team that's pretty good and added Kevin Durant, I would take that. They haven't right. looked – they haven't been problematic on defense. Uh, not that I expected them to be problematic, but they've been better on defense than I expected. Um, since then, I – you know, also we're talking about the Clippers too. Like, there's so many teams in the West. So I would take the East because of that, just because it's clear to kind of pick out who you trust from that conference. Way but, more I mean, confusion there's... on the West side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. But man, like the Suns, if if they just get it together and keep playing the way that they're playing, and Durant, you know, looks like Kevin Durant come playoff time. Not last playoffs, Kevin Durant, but maybe the yeah. ones before that. Uh it's really entertaining, but I think I'll still take somebody at the East for now.
1: Yeah. A rematch of Phoenix Milwaukee this season with Durant. Ooh, I'll be, take it. Ooh, yeah, that, ooh, that would take be it. yeah. I mean, basketball fans around the world, journalists, reporters, they would be dying for that type of series. That'd be um, amazing. Chris, man, you, you are awesome. The, the work you do is great. Is there anything coming up that you want to mention uh, work-wise that, that you're going to be doing before we head out?
0: Not really. I think uh, hopefully trying not to write too, too much this week uh, just because we're we're going to have to start filing these playoff stories, these playoff features, so I've got to try yeah. to get on the phone and get out to a couple more games before the season's over. But nothing too big, just my newsletter that comes out every Tuesday. Okay, awesome, man. Chris, again,
1: you do great work. Appreciate you jumping you on the phone. You too, line. man. Uh, we'll we'll be we'll be chatting more, man. Hope to have you on the pod uh, more often. Man.
0: I really appreciate it. Thanks so much yeah. for having me on. You take care. Absolutely. All right.
1: Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Objective Basketball Podcast.
0: We will see you guys later. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S on all socials and at the Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective
1: Basketball Podcast delivering the NBA to you like no other.